You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. So there's a lot coming up. In the near future, I want you to know that I'm going to be traveling to Canada. That is going to be happening next month or this month, depending on when you catch this podcast, the second half of September. I'm going to be first in Ottawa and second in Toronto. I'm very excited about everything that God's going to be doing there. If you live in Canada, you've been following this podcast and you've been waiting for me to come to Canada. You want to say hi, you want to stop by, have a chat, listen. I'm going to be there with Tim Benz. We're going to be doing two conferences back-to-back, first in Ottawa and second in Toronto. And if you want to come to that conference, go to our website at bridemovement.com because we have the information on the homepage if you just scroll to the bottom and you'll see the contact information that you need for both Ottawa and Toronto, depending on which one is more convenient for you. And you can attend. It's not a closed conference, but you will have to settle your registration. Now, I am also excited because we're in one month, guys, and, and I mean guys by male only, guys, we're going to be doing a course for men, by men and for men. It's called Fundamentals for the Mighty Man. And we want men to be empowered, equipped, and motivated and engaged through what we are building at Bride Ministries. And I want to encourage you, if, if you've been looking for an opportunity to uh, just find some more direct contact or discipleship opportunities, this is where to go, men. Ladies, sorry, no signups from women. If you try to sign up and we find out you are a woman, we will politely refund you your registration fee and decline your presence because this is a men's meeting. But if you are a man and you want to sign up, just go to the shop page at bridemovement.com and you will see the Fundamentals for the Mighty Man course available for sign up. Um, for a limited time, we are going to be running that course at $29.95 and that's going to be a discounted price until it ends. <laughs> and then after that, it's going to go back to the actual price for the course. And so I highly recommend you to take advantage of that discounted price. We're going to have it there for just a limited time uh, prior to the uh, start date of the course. So I also want to let you guys know that, um, you know, at Bride Ministries, we continue to do a lot. We continue to work through our, we have a list of survivors of satanic ritual abuse and government-sponsored mind control agendas that we continue to issue grants for and we pay for their healing journey with coaches that we are affiliated with folks those of you that's so into this ministry are sowing into that and we are 
continually able to do this. And, you know, I, I know that we haven't like released public testimonies of, okay, well, this is the person we took off the list. This is who they are and what happened. But part of that's just for confidentiality purposes. But I want you guys to know that, yeah, we are continuing to do that. And when you sow into Bride Ministries, you are actually sowing into the lives of survivors. And by the way, on the subject of survivors, we have a number of books on our website, but we are carrying the book by Hope Barrel Green called To Tell the Truth. We still have some copies left from our initial purchase. And I want to encourage you guys, for those of you that want to know what the journey is like for a survivor and what the programming is like through a survivor's eyes, Hope has an incredible account. And so, you know, pick up her book. If you are looking for that kind of information, you can do so from our website. I want to remind all of you that, listen, we do run the Fireplace Church every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. All you have to do is go to BrideMovement.com, click on the Fireplace Church tab, and click the button, and you will be in the Fireplace Church. I really hope to see you guys there. And, you know, that that's where all the action happens. As a matter of fact, we're going to be doing a bride tribe because there is a tribe of people that hang out with bride and they're really really incredible and you might be one of them and just not know it yet anyway uh we converge uh, in in the physical and we did a retreat kind of event in the spring and we're going to be doing another one in the fall now there's no instructions on how to register for that on the podcast. Why not? Because that is for our actual community. And community happens at the Fireplace Church. And so if you want to be part of what we are growing as far as a ministry at Bride, come to the Fireplace Church. That's also your landing pad for other opportunities like our weekly fellowship groups. And so with that said, I'm going to jump right into the podcast after saying thank you to all of our donors that continue to financially support us and for all of the new donors that jump on board with us regularly i want you guys to know we now accept cryptocurrency donations at bride ministries if you go to our donate page you'll see the regular donate options and then a button for cryptocurrency and what we do is we essentially credit you the conversion rate for the cryptocurrency that you are donating to us and send you a statement at the end of the year so if you, for whatever reason, are looking to dump cryptocurrency or you want to bless us with that and you're overseas or some other kind of circumstance, I don't, you know, we receive what you have. With that said, we are going to get to the program. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. So I've had something on my heart, and this is a subject that's been coming up with me and the Lord uh, over and over again, as God has just been really showing me some incredible things and conclusions. And so this week I decided to take a break from having guests and just spend some time talking to you about this subject that's been on my heart. And I think that for a lot of you that follow this podcast and uh, listen to me, you're going to find this particular piece very helpful. It's going to be a piece of the puzzle that you've been putting together that's going to connect a lot of dots. And it is on the subject of iniquity. And I'm just going to begin with this comment. 
Iniquity, in my opinion, is one of the more misunderstood concepts in Scripture. Now, if you've been attending the Fireplace Church, which means every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, you will know that I have actually touched on iniquity several times throughout the course of this year. And I've actually brought it back around, talked about it under different contexts. And it's just not going away. And, and I, I've really, really been feeling the need to just take time to do a podcast on this subject so that it's not misunderstood in the minds of those of you that are following this work. And here's the thing. Grace is a subject that I love to talk about. I actually really love talking about grace. As a matter of fact, we have a whole Bride Ministries Institute course on the subject of grace. Grace was the first course that we taught at Bride Ministries as a discipleship class. And um, I, I, I really enjoy grace. And what grace has done for a lot of believers is, is it, it has liberated them from shame and guilt preaching and theology that makes them feel terrible about themselves. Uh, the old school fire and brimstone message has really become outdated in the minds of many people. It, people go and they listen to someone preach and the first thing out of their mouth is, if you don't receive Jesus and go to heaven, you're going to hell and you're going to burn with fire. Like That message just is not where uh, most people are planting themselves. Now, some people criticize that, but... Honestly, no one really enjoys sitting through that and getting clobbered over and over with the same idea like, hey, yeah, okay, I get it. If I don't accept Jesus, I'm going to hell. You know, it's like, how many times do you need to repeat that over and over and over again? And people have really begun to learn that they get a lot more and a lot closer to God by focusing on identity in Christ and on his grace. But what what's happened is that there has there has been a void that's been left in the conversation and people in some cases have actually stopped talking about sin altogether now i want you to know if you're listening to this that grace is unmerited favor it is divine influence upon the heart it is the finished work of jesus christ and it is god's ability Grace is powerful. As a matter of fact, grace is exactly how we are supposed to overcome sin. The Bible says that sin shall not have dominion over us, for we are not under the law, but under grace. What that actually means is that sin shall not have dominion over us because we are not under the law, but under God's ability. Grace is God's ability and his finished work, meaning that when God's ability is activated in our lives, when his grace, when his finished work begins to flow through us, it overcomes sin and sin falls off. I, and there's so much to talk about on grace. But what I want to say is that uh, grace preaching and teaching by no means invalidates a study and a uh, subject matter coherence on sin and iniquity. And for that reason, there is an entire area of theology known as hamartiology. Hamartiology is the study of sin. It comes from the Greek word hamartia, which is the word that we translate into our English word 
sin. And so beginning right here, I'm, I'm going to ask you as a listener, a simple question. Do you believe that sin and iniquity are the same thing? And if so, why? Now I want you to think about it. Now, I want you to take a moment. And if you're really brave, okay, if you're really brave, and you believe they are the same thing, I want you to put your hand in the air. Do it. Do it. All right. Now, if you have your hand in the air, I want to tell you something. You're wrong. All right. We're done. Good exercise. <laughs> but now I'm going to explain to you why. Um, fortunately, if you are actually doing this, hopefully you're in the privacy of your own home and no one actually saw you do that. Okay. So, uh, why? And, and by the way, what could this question possibly mean for passages like 2 Thessalonians 2, 7? For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Or in another translation, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. In other words, there is a restrainer and there is a mystery of iniquity that is already working. What does iniquity have to do with the last days? Okay, let's talk. We need to begin with a study on iniquity. Now, the word iniquity is translated from 11 different Hebrew words, but stands distinguished from sin and transgression. And this difference is maintained throughout scripture. We're going to begin by looking at two scriptures. One, Daniel 9, 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now, some people may think, oh yeah, Daniel's just re repeating himself over and over and over again. But, but Daniel's actually not repeating himself. Daniel is scribing an angel that came to him and was giving him this information. And the angel said, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, point one. <laughs> point two, to make an end of sins. Different point. Watch this, point three, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Okay, so the angel only has a few points actually six uh because then we're going to bring in everlasting righteousness we're going to seal up vision and prophecy and we're going to anoint the most holy so out of those six points three of them have to do with sin transgression and iniquity was he really repeating himself to make the same point over and over and over no no as a matter of fact exodus 34 verse 7 says keeping mercy for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin by no means clearing the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation now here we have it again is god repeating himself is he confused does he just have to keep saying the same thing forgiving iniquity and transgression you know it's like i forgive sin and sin and sin <laughs> No, no, he's actually making a distinction between iniquity, transgression, and sin. As a matter of fact, those words in the Hebrew language are avan, that's translated iniquity, pasha, translated transgression, and chata'ath, translated as sin. 
And so iniquity, transgression, and sin are all addressed independently. Now, in a moment, I'm going to tell you that in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he addressed all three. This is very important. In the body of Christ, there's been a lot of confusion because we have assumed that we should be able to deal with iniquity, transgression, and sin the same way and with the same approach. It doesn't matter what word we're using or what descriptor we use on something that doesn't please God. We, are, we, we can just deal with it the same way. Just, you know, come to Jesus. Well... That's great and fine and dandy for all the people that that worked for, but what about the people that it didn't work for? Because I could give you countless individuals that have come to Jesus with tears and with fastings and with prayers, trying to get a breakthrough on some kind of bondage or area of uh, restriction, some kind of breakthrough from the attacks they are being hammered by. And you know what? No amount of repentance has actually cleared the airwaves. Why? See, we've assumed that you should just be able to deal with sin, iniquity, transgression, all the same way. And I'm going to talk to you about dealing with sin and dealing with iniquity later on. But what I'm here to say is, look, let, let's just break the fallacy right out the gate that sin, transgression, and iniquity are the same thing. They are not. Let's consider some further evidence. Psalm 51, verse 1 and 2. Having mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. There you have the psalmist asking for the transgressions to be blotted out, for the iniquity to be washed and for the sin to be cleansed. Three separate requests are going forth. Again, psalmist, are they confused? Do they just have a habit of repeating themselves? No. Uh, again, in Psalm 32, verse 5, it says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So there can be an iniquity of sin, but there is also sin, transgression, and iniquity. And all of this is being articulated by the psalmist independently. There is no way to read the Old Testament and conclude that sin, transgression, and iniquity are the same thing. They are not. They are unique conversation topics. Now, all of them are bad. God doesn't like any one of them. God hates sin. God hates transgression and he hates iniquity. <laughs> but they are different conversations. And the truth is many of you that listen to this podcast do so because you're looking for keys. You're looking for answers. You're listening to me because other people aren't talking to you about your problem set. I know. I get the emails. I have the conversations. I meet you guys. You tell me. You know, Daniel, the conversation that happens on your podcast is not happening in other contexts. And that's why I follow your stuff, because I need truth. I need answers. I need keys. Well, here's a key. Sin, transgression, and iniquity are not the same thing. And this is where you really begin to crack into the counterfeit wisdom 
used and leveraged by the occult world. Their wisdom is in the compiling of iniquity. As a matter of fact, the, the occult kingdom trades on iniquity. They build upon iniquity. That's why they want as much iniquity in the bloodlines that they work with as possible. Okay, coming back. All throughout the Old Testament, the Bible maintains a distinguishing conversation between sin, transgression, and iniquity. So, when Jesus is prophesied about in Isaiah chapter 53, it's done so in the following manner. Watch this. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. God came as the man, Jesus Christ, and he resolved sin, transgression, and iniquity all at the same time with his finished work, which means that it doesn't matter whether our problem is sin, transgression, or iniquity, all of them are resolved in the finished work. So, there is a, 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 a slight leaning to be a little sloppy about it. It's like, well, if Jesus did it all and paid it all, then uh, we should just be able to come to Jesus and that'll resolve it all. Well, yes and no. Yes, Jesus is the answer, but no, any kind of haphazard approach to applying the finished work isn't necessarily going to yield results. <laughs> and therein lies the rub. So sin, transgression, and iniquity are all paid for by Jesus. They're all resolved in him, but applying the finished work of Jesus Christ to break the influence of sin is different. And I want to highlight that word different, capital D, I-F-F-E-R-E-N-T, different than applying the finished work of Jesus Christ to redeem us from iniquity. So let's talk definitions. All right. Sin. Where does the word sin from? Chata'ath. Uh, uh, this is the Hebrew word. It means an offense. In Greek, that same word is translated from the word hamartia. It means to miss the mark, to err, to violate the law of God. Transgression comes from the Hebrew word pesha. It means a revolt. Rebellion, sin, transgression, trespass. In Greek, it comes from the word parabasis. It means a going over, a disregarding, or a violating. It's more severe than just missing the mark. It is outright rebellion. This is the difference between sin and transgression. Transgression is a decision to sin and to prefer sin over God's ways 
to the end that a person abides in rebellion. Yes, it begins with sin, but it ends in rebellion. And then iniquity, which is translated from 11 Hebrew words, is translated most often from the word avon. It means perversity, fault, mischief. In Greek, it comes from the word anomia, the condition of being without law. Another word in Hebrew translated iniquity is avel, also meaning perverseness, injustice. The overarching meaning is this idea that one has become perverted, crooked, misaligned from original intent. So, at the end of our word study, we learned that sin is missing the mark. Okay? Sin is like you go to the grocery store and you shoplift a stick of gum and you feel really bad about it. That's sin right there. Okay? But when a person moves into transgression, they have preferred sin to the extent that they have moved into rebellion or revolt. This is the person that goes to the store, steals a stick of gum, and gets a rush out of it, and is actually habitually beginning to engage in this kind of behavior. Now, when the revolt or rebellion against the ways of God has perverted the nature or character of the person, it becomes iniquity. Iniquity is far deeper than sin and actually anchors to the very genetic code. And this is why iniquity is misunderstood. People have not understood that iniquity is the thing that anchors itself to the genetic code. Even the markers in the blood reveal iniquity. I love this gentleman. His name is Dr. Duncan. If you have not heard his podcast on Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall, I'm giving him a shout out. This man will take a blood sample and look at your blood and tell you what side of the family there are occult bondages on because the all-seeing eyes will appear as markers in the blood samples and he can show you on a microscope. Iniquity is far deeper than sin and anchors to the very genetic code. So this is the person that has been shoplifting for 20 years and then gets married or not, sires a child, and that child comes out of the womb predisposed to being a thief because of what they carry in genetic code thanks to father who cut a deal with the devil and decided to make stealing a lifestyle choice. So, this is clearly revealed in the scripture. God does not visit sin or transgression on future generations. He visits iniquity. This means that iniquity can be compounded within a bloodline throughout generations. 
and opens up a deeper understanding to generational Satanism and generational Luciferianism. They know, evil people know, that when a person is perverted in their life and defiled by evil, that gets embedded in their genetic code and rewrites their coding. It actually dehumanizes them more and more and more. And then when they give birth to the next generation, those children get to pick up where the parents left off. And they compound more and more evil on the children and deviate them further and further. So the children in generational Satanist and Luciferian families can often, and not always because there's always, you know, different things as you get into this stuff in a very deep way like we do, uh, but often are able to go further and farther than their ancestors into the darkness. And this is why Illuminati, the Illuminati do not just recruit people off the street because a random person off the street does not have the kind of bloodline iniquity that they need to roll with the evil that they do at the top levels of the Illuminati. You can't get that much iniquity into your person in one lifetime. You have to be born under the weight of that thing through generations. So the Illuminati works through 13 bloodlines, which have many family names, but 13 root bloodlines because it's those bloodlines that contain the compounded generational iniquity. Now we understand the way the world works. You know, there are good old boys club that certain people are just never going to get into because you don't carry the kind of iniquity that you need to enter the club. Uh, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 5.9, Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. It doesn't say sin. It does not say transgression. It says iniquity. Same thing in the book of um, Exodus, chapter 34, verse 7. Here, which I already quoted, but I'm going to say it again. It says, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, wait for it, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. See, every time you have this generational thing playing out, it's always a conversation on iniquity, not sin. And I think there's a misnomer because many times it, 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 in Bible speaking, I've even been guilty of doing this. We use terminology that just sounds right. So we say, oh yeah, we're going to deal with some generational sin. But when we say generational sin, what is really meant is generational iniquity, which is the conversation the Bible is having. So if we take the time to break down our terms, we realize that, no, we don't really deal with generational sin. We are dealing with generational iniquity. Because that's what gets passed down. It gets coded into the genetics. It gets put in the blood. It gets passed. Now, the Bible actually speaks of progressing from one degree of defilement to the next. In James 1.15, I talked about the graduation from sin to transgression to iniquity. Well, here's what James 1.15 says. 
Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown or has moved from sin to transgression to iniquity, brings forth death. Now, um, I want to talk about death for a minute because death is the original generational curse. Not only is death the original generational curse, death is the final enemy that will be destroyed. Uh, Satan goes and gets cast in the abyss before death gets dealt his day in court. Death is the end of sin. Now, this takes us back to the garden. And I want you to listen to Genesis 2, 15 through 17, okay? So this is what God says to, God does. It says, Then the Lord took the man, and by the way, that word took comes from the word laquash, which means seized or acquired or laid hold of. So then the Lord seized the man and put him. And that word put comes from the Hebrew word yanak, which means... Um, made him to rest <laughs> that's what it actually means Ma uh, made to rest so it, it says the lord god took or acquired the man and put or made him to rest in the garden of eden to tend and keep it revelation did you know that when you are in your sphere of assignment and put back in alignment with god's original intent for your life you rest in the execution of your assignment. You don't toil, you rest. And then it goes on and it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the, knowledge, of, of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, I always ask myself, why would God say, In the day you eat of it, you shall surely die? Because the fact is that Adam lived to 930 years old. Think about that. In the day you eat of it, you will surely die. So you take a bite and you live for 930 years. Divide that. Most people can't live to 93 years anymore. Adam lived 12 lifetimes in our world and... He was the one that ate the fruit. So how does this actually make sense? Then here's what I believe. Eating of the tree put Adam and Eve into interface with death, that which is brought forth by fully mature sin. So, so actually the tree, eating of the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil is a connection into a, a conversation on iniquity. Adam didn't physically die the day that he and Eve ate of the tree, but Adam and Eve interfaced with death through iniquity. And that entered the genetic code of man as the first generational curse. Man was never designed to die, but iniquity introduced a deviation in Adam's genetics which perverted him from original design and Eve and predestined them to die. 
And as a matter of fact, I want to just take another step forward and say, you know, I believe that that iniquity indwelt the tree, which is why the serpent was so interested in getting them to eat of that fruit. I think there's a very deep conversation here that's highly veiled in scripture. And I don't know the full extent of the conversation that's highly veiled in scripture that's happening here, but here's the truth. What I do know is that Lucifer or Satan was cast out of heaven after iniquity was found in him. He was perverted from his original design. The, the iniquity deviated him from what he was created to be. God didn't create Lucifer to be Satan. He created him and then iniquity was found in him and he was cast out. So the Bible says, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you out as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. So we know that he was a covering cherub. That he was perfect at one time. But iniquity was found in him, and that perversion in his nature caused him to sin. And so God cast him out. And we find the serpent then in the garden with Adam and Eve. So there's an original iniquity, and... It originated with Satan. And there was no iniquity before this passage chronologically. But after Satan was cast out of heaven, he was found in the garden beguiling Eve. And when Adam and Eve heeded the serpent and partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they did more than just eat bad fruit. They engaged into interface with injustice, perverseness, and wickedness that brought forth death. Now, death becomes the original generational curse, but then there are others that can compound it because in the judgment, God says that man's going to now have to, you know, toil and there will be thistles in the ground. The ground is not going to be so cooperative. He tells woman that you're going to have pain in childbearing. So, so, so the, this thing gets compounded in, 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 in God's response. And we are still living with that. But all things were designed to be reconciled and brought back to original intent in Christ Jesus. This is why all sin, all transgression, and all iniquity is resolved in Christ. This is why the Bible says, For by one man's offense death reigned through the one. Much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. There is a gift of righteousness that comes through Jesus, through his finished work, that allows us to stand before God in acceptance, not based on what we've done and who we are, but who Jesus is.
So Jesus paid the price and resolved these things from an eternal standpoint, from a positional standpoint, but from a manifestation context, we still have some work to do. Now, I want to talk about Cain for a minute because Cain had his own running with iniquity and it's hidden in the King James Bible. If you do a word search on iniquity, the first reference you will likely pull up has to do with the Amorites. In Genesis chapter 15. But I did a deeper study on the word of Avon. And guess where it showed up? Genesis 4.13. The Bible says, And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Now, here's what happened. God comes to Cain and warns Cain. Sin is at the door. But Cain is jealous of Abel because God respected Abel's sacrifice and did not respect Cain's sacrifice of the produce of the ground. And so he kills his brother. And after that, Genesis 4.13 takes place, and God is talking with Cain, and Cain replies to God, My punishment is greater than I can bear. In the Hebrew, it's the word avon. It means my iniquity is greater than I can bear. So the act of sin produced iniquity that rendered Cain under this great weight. Now, the language greater than I can bear carries the idea of a load that is so heavy you cannot stand up straight under its weight. In other words, there was a load that came upon Cain for his crime. And that iniquity was so heavy, it was as though Cain could not stand up straight under his its weight. It made him crooked. See, there's a reason why the serpent is a crooked serpent. Because he's defiled by iniquity. And when we defiled by iniquity, we begin to become crooked and bent, deviated. This is why God says he's going to make every crooked path straight. There's a reconciliation for sin, transgression, and iniquity in Christ Jesus. More on iniquity comes in Genesis 15, 16, God is having a conversation throughout Genesis 15 with Abraham and makes a covenant with him. And the Abrahamic covenant is a covenant of promise. What that means is that the covenant is entirely based on who God is and not on who Abraham is. Nothing that Abraham could do could break that covenant. It's not that way with the Mosaic covenant. That's a different covenant. That had responsibilities. People had to keep up their end of the bargain. But Abraham had a covenant of promise. So God said, in your seed will all the nations of the earth be blessed. There's nothing that Abraham could do to void that out. God made it on the basis of his own character and swore an oath over that. So God's having a conversation with Abraham. And he says, look, this is what's going to happen to Israel this is what's going to happen to the children. You know, they're going to go into captivity for 400 years. As a matter of fact, and he gets to verse 15, verse 16. He says, But in the fourth generation they shall come here again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. In other words, 
Israel would ultimately possess the land of the Amorites, but God was waiting until the iniquity of the Amorites was full. Now, this is a principle that goes throughout the scripture. When God is going to judge a nation, he actually measures that nation against its perversion, its iniquity. And when a nation that has been appointed to judgment turns to God, God can actually blot out sin and provide atonement for iniquity and refrain from a planned judgment. As a matter of fact, God planned to judge Nineveh, but when Jonah went and prophesied to them, you're all going to blow up, <laughs> Daniel's version, uh, they all went and put on sackcloth and ashes and, I mean, cried out to God. And God withheld the judgment on that city for, I mean, a whole generation. Um, as a matter of fact, in another case, Jeremiah was found praying that God would not do this for backsliding Israel, which means that he could have done it. Jeremiah 18.23 says, Yet, Lord, you know all their counsel, which is against me, to slay me. Provide no atonement for their iniquity, nor blot out their sin from your sight, but let them be overthrown before you. Deal thus with them in the time of your anger. So, some people think that God is on a rampage to destroy uh, as many nations as he can that make him unhappy. No, there is a real thing to the idea that God may have a possible future for a nation. But when that nation turns around and begins to address its iniquity, uh, the, the whole timeline will change. So... When it comes to dealing with iniquity, which is one of the big, like, you know, when it comes to my deliverance ministry, I sit down with people day after day. I mean, day in and day out, I'm, I'm helping people connect with Jesus and his finished work to get set free of all kinds of bondages and strongholds and cosmic beings and weirdness that's just off the charts, quite frankly. Um, <clears throat> what I find is that I am repeatedly having to address not sin issues, but iniquity issues, right? Because usually when people come to me, they say, Daniel, I've repented of everything. The only reason I'm talking to someone as crazy as you is because nothing else has worked so far. You know, uh, I mean, people are getting a little bit more gracious, but I, I mean, let's be real. <laughs> this has been some of the conversation that has come to me, right? <laughs> it's like, Daniel, the only reason I'm talking to somebody as crazy as you is because nothing else worked, you know? And lo and behold, our stuff is working. So we must have something. And what we have is we have distilled valid approaches to engaging the finished work of Jesus Christ to resolve iniquity issues. And when we resolve iniquity issues, we get the breakthrough that the strategies to resolve sin didn't did not secure. And I want to say what I have found is that when it comes to dealing with iniquity, it often requires some kind of ruling and determination in the courts of heaven. Daniel, where do you get these crazy conclusions from? Zechariah 3, verses 1 through 4. So what happens here is you have Zechariah, the prophet, and he is caught up in a heavenly vision. He, he's, he transcends, he's in heaven, and he sees Joshua, the high priest. Now, 
this is not Joshua from the book of Joshua. This was actually one of the two witnesses in that day. Uh, Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel were the two witnesses to um, the Jews at that time. And Zechariah was there. And he's watching God deal with the spirit of Joshua the high priest. And, and so it reads this. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him saying, take away the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. Now, this is profound, right? This isn't just a simple forgiveness of, oh, you took a uh, stick of gum from the grocery store when you were 12. I'm going to forgive you of that little misdemeanor. No, God is actually going to Joshua the high priest and saying the iniquity that is transacted from your ancestors and your ancestors' ancestors through the generations, down into your genetic code, thus defiling you, is now in this court being taken away from you by my determination. The only reason Satan had a capacity to oppose Joshua, the high priest, was because of the iniquity in his person. You know, uh, I, I have a lot to say about the courts of heaven and, and actually going up there to do work as a seer or prophet. Uh, but that, that's actually not what I'm going to be talking about here. I'm talking about the principle. Okay, God removed iniquity in the context of a court ruling. It was a legal transaction dealing with iniquity through the finished work of Jesus Christ is different than dealing with sin bondage now here's how I deal with sin bondage okay I, I have a very very simple way of dealing with sin bondage okay um, it's a five-step process as a matter of fact in my book prayers to take heaven and earth I have a prayer called deliverance 101 that is a prayer for dealing with sin bondage and it is step one, confess, step two, repent, step three, renounce, step four, bind, and step five, cast out any demons or evil spirits that have been attached through the open doors that have come about because of the sin, right? So person goes and does heroin. <laughs> Bad idea. All right, so they do heroin and then they're getting hammered. They're getting sleep paralysis you know, all the stuff starts going wrong and they're like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad about it. Dan Duvall, what do I do? Okay, well, let's confess what you did. All right, Lord God, I confess that I did heroin. Great, I repent, right? Because you want to change your thinking on that thing. Then you renounce it. That means you break agreement with the heroin. Now, all of the uh, rights that any 
evil spirits have to harass you, sleep paralysis, come against your finances, do this because of sin, are broken, and you say, I bind every evil spirit that's been at work and drive you out in Jesus' name. Boom. Done. I mean, and I'll tell you, I mean, it, this, this is a cookie cutter prayer you could just do over and over and over again. You cast demons out all day long with this very, very straightforward approach. But, but, I will tell you, if I'm dealing with a person that comes from generations of uh, philanderers, this kind of a prayer is not going to produce any kind of lasting change in that individual. They'll say the prayer and go out and do their stuff the next day. I mean, it just doesn't break it. And this is where many people find themselves frustrated because they've given they've been given a tool of repentance. They've been given the blood of Jesus. They've been given fasting. They've been given this. They've been given that. And it's not breaking the cycle, the stronghold, the barrier, the resistance, and the pain. So we began to realize that when this kind of approach, the sin approach, does not work to break bondage, we are dealing with something deeper. And many things have to be rooted out of the very genetic code, blood, bone marrow, sometimes even the frequencies of the person, down to the very spirit at times. Because 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, let us cleanse ourselves of all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. So, Daniel, what's the conclusion? Here it is. This is why we have designed the prayers in the back of the book, Prayers to Shake Heaven and Earth. Folks, this book is priced not so that we make money, but so that you get this tool in your hands. See, we struggled, I struggled for years in trying to help people break iniquity issues. And I found that it was hard, it was laborious, it was painful, it was frustrating. But when we got the legalities ironed out we essentially wrote what i call now prefabricated lawsuits have you ever gone online looking for legalese or legal language for some kind of thing and found a sample contract or a sample document written by a lawyer that has valid language that you then borrowed or you go to a lawyer and you have them draw up a document for you that has effective language for addressing things that would be transacted in a court. These prayers in the back of the book, Prayers that Shake Heaven and Earth, are that. They are prefabricated lawsuits that transact deliverance from iniquity by addressing necessary legalities. And this is why those prayers look different as you get into freedom from non-human genetics, freedom from Illuminati bloodlines, freedom from synthetic genetics, freedom from fallen angel bloodlines and genetics. It looks different than a simple pray, repent, and ask for the blood of Jesus because we're not addressing a sin issue. We're addressing iniquity issues. We're addressing tethering to cosmic beings. And I am telling you that is where the magnificent breakthroughs are happening and being reproduced. As people learn just how powerful these resources are, they are using them to secure breakthroughs for themselves, their families, people in their communities. Yes, I'm telling you to get a hold of it. And if you can't afford it, just find the prayers for free on our website. But look, 
you know, you have to go through page after page after page on our website. They're all in one place in the book, Prayers That Shake Heaven and Earth, for easy reference. And if you want more than that, I'm here to tell you, we have a course at Bride Ministries Institute called Advanced Deliverance. How to use the prayers in the back of the book, Prayers That Shake Heaven and Earth. It breaks down the revelation behind the prayers that are prefabricated lawsuits capable of dealing with the iniquity that has held people captive to the things they cannot break. And that revelation will take you even further because once you get the mechanics that undergird the language, you will be able to hear from the Lord and language new things as you need. And I, I'm here to tell you, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to put tools in the hands of the body of Christ because I'm very interested in seeing the uh, iniquity levels of this world decline. Okay? The more people across the world, across this nation, begin to deal with their iniquity. Did you know that dealing with bloodline iniquity is, is actually synonymous with doing warfare on behalf of your nation and city and state? Because when your iniquity drops, the accusation against the community, the city, the nation drops. And the power of evil in that region drops. Because evil power trades on iniquity. It's ramped up by it. They are capable of more when they have more iniquity available to them. And it is criminal activity to rob people of access, right, to this kind of revelation, to process out their iniquity. Because, you know what, to get saved and hold on to all of the iniquity really prevents the manifestation of the promises of God. This is why as so many Christians are getting robbed and demons are claiming legal rights to rob them blind. It's because they got saved but didn't deal with the iniquity. One last point. In the book of Acts chapter 8, there is a guy named Simon the Sorcerer, right? And he is led to Christ by Philip the Evangelist. And he believes on the Lord Jesus. He gets baptized by Philip. And then James, or not James, Peter and John go up to that area in order to lay hands on people and give them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so Simon the Sorcerer is watching Peter and John do what they do. And he wants to have that power. You know, he was working in occult power. Philip blew him out of the water, demonstrating the power of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now he is saved and baptized, but he still doesn't necessarily understand the way things work in the kingdom of God. He still has evil ideologies and uh, patterns of living trading on him. And so he goes to Peter and he tries to buy the gift. And Peter rebukes him. And you know what he says to him? I perceive that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bonds of iniquity. See, Simon was saved and baptized into Christ. 
but he still had in his person the iniquity. See, salvation does not address iniquity. Neither does water baptism. Iniquity is addressed as a legal transaction executed through the finished work of Jesus Christ intentionally. I, I mean, it, and, and it's it's for this reason that people get confused. They think, oh, well, I was saved. So, I mean, I guess Jesus died for my sins, past, present, and future. So I'm good. No, you're not. Simon wasn't good. Peter called him out because he had iniquity in him still. And so do many of us. So you have tools. You have answers. You have an explanation. The question is, what are you going to do about it? I'm done. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed. Ha! <laughs> I was just kidding. I still need to answer one more question. <laughs> the question that I posed at the very beginning. What does this have to do with the mystery of iniquity? And the restrainer that's holding back a manifestation of the man of sin. And I just want to suggest to you this concept. See, iniquity, because it perverts our genetics, has the capacity to tether us to ungodly realms and regions, in fact, of the kingdom of darkness. And so people are tethered to regions of the kingdom of darkness, where evil powers rule and where very evil things are done. They're tethered to them because of their iniquity. Now, there's a mystery of iniquity that you know that word mystery is mustieron meaning that which is hidden now being revealed see the kingdom of darkness wants to reveal something and it's being restrained but there is something at work see the restrainer is basically the person whoever he is that god has put in place to shelter and protect the first heaven world surface world from the regions of darkness and evil that comprise the kingdom of darkness now they want to bring their kingdom in because they want to do everything that jesus christ is going to do and when jesus christ comes back revelation eleven fifteen says the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our lord and his christ he has every plan to synchronize heaven and earth and bring his kingdom onto this planet at his second coming. So before Jesus comes back, what does the kingdom of darkness want to do? They want to bring their evil kingdom out of their evil realms onto this planet. In other words, pierce the veil and bring in radical evil from other dimensions. But they can't quite do it because there's a restrainer. So what does the mystery of iniquity do? Well, it through people that are tethered to all these evil realms, uh, platforms people and their agreements and their rituals and their sorceries and uh, truly their vessels in order to create bridges to the evil realms. And so the mystery of iniquity is already at work and it's allowing for bridges to be built through the restrainer in order to bring in modicums of radical evil uh, demons, entities from other realms and dimensions that have no business being on planet Earth, so on and so forth. But not all of it. <laughs> 
And they need people with lots of bloodline iniquity in order to advance this agenda. You know, you lose all the people with bloodline iniquity, you can't bring in anything from the other dimensions. That would be a big problem for the kingdom of darkness because this is the truth. The Bible says the heaven, even the heavens of the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Satan needs men to open the door to his plans for this planet. And Satan cannot do anything without the agreement of man, and God will not do anything without the agreement of man. So there's your answer. See, all of these things fall into place very nicely when you begin to understand iniquity. I'm done now. Okay, now I'm really done. Guys, I'll see you next week. You've been listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. If you would like to connect with us at Bride Ministries or to support what we are doing financially, visit us at www.bridemovement.com.